Hello, Internet. This is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. I am the editor-in-chief for Imperial Esports, and welcome to another slightly less special edition of the Rough Drafts podcast. Because as I mentioned in our European podcast, Walter Ciades Fedchuk, the writer for Slingshot Esports, the co-host, and a good friend of mine, is not going to be here on this episode. He is still recovering from his illness And I am recording this on Thursday because I am about to fly to Istanbul on Friday when you guys will hopefully be listening to this. So it's going to be a very interesting kind of podcast. I don't have all of the most up-to-date news. If something happens on Friday and I don't cover it here, sorry. I I can't go back in time, unfortunately. But I did want to make sure that we gave the people what they wanted, that we did have a North America-centric podcast for this week. and. It's going to be one of those, just like the European one, if you weren't there for that, this is going to be a little bit different than our usual show. I'm not going to go into three teams in depth like we usually do, because I don't have someone to bounce off of. It's going to be me just giving a very one-sided interpretation, which isn't really a lot of fun. I, I, I don't think that's going to play off well to you guys. So instead, I'm going to take you into what it's like to be me on an average week just thinking about League of Legends. The things that cross my mind, the things that I'm texting friends, colleagues, everything about all the time, you're just going to get brought into that. And hopefully you guys like it. Uh, If you do, uh, let me know on Twitter and everything because this is the kind of thing I could see myself doing more of if you enjoy it. But let's, let's just get into it. And it starts with the biggest loser of the Visa situation. Because I've been thinking about this a lot. I I mentioned a little bit of the Visa situation in the European cast when I talked about Unicorns of Love. And obviously Visa Geddon is something that has overshadowed a lot of what's been going on this split. Impulse and Echo Fox both saw the first half of their seasons pretty much torn asunder by all of these Visa issues. And both teams are now just starting to show some real signs that maybe they can overcome what was a weaker start. But to be honest with you, Those aren't the teams that I feel like lost the most. And I don't feel like they lost the most because I feel like their ceiling wasn't that high to begin with. You know, Echo Fox right now, they're going to take a win over NRG and people are going to say, oh my god, Echo Fox, they're the next great thing and we should start getting super excited about them. I want more than one quality win and one win against Renegades before I'm jumping on the Echo Fox hype train. Uh, Impulse has calmed down for the most part. They beat Dignitas this week, but they lost to TSM. They've been going they, – they lost both their games last week. So I, I think it's fair to say that Impulse, even at their full strength, was going to have a, a ceiling on them. But you know what team I really mourn the Visa situation for? It's Dignitas. And Dignitas, it's one of those things where if you're not a hardcore Dignitas fan or you're not someone who likes to pay attention to the details, maybe you're not on Twitter all that often. You're just watching the games. You're thinking to yourself, Chase, what are you talking about? All of their players were fine from the Visa situation. Kire is playing. Smitty J was benched. It wasn't really a problem with his Visa. Why is this team the team that lost Visa get in more than anyone else? And my answer to that is because they lost Raz. And to be clear, uh, this is Barento Raz Muhammad, the coach for Dignitas. He had visa issues. He is now dealing with those. He is not there with the team. Things have not been the same for the team since. This team is one in five in his absence. And it's a one in five that is a very tough one in five to swallow. 
their only win was a week four win against a team that I think, <laughs> hey, look, it's Echo Fox before Froggen came in. Great. That high quality win there. That's all they were able to do. And even that was a much harder game than it needed to be. Because Dignitas without Raz has looked like a chicken with its head cut off. The drafts aren't coming together. There's a lot of pieces of things where you can almost see the shreds of where the theory might be, but it just doesn't click in the same way or to even accomplish that little bit of synergy. They're giving so much more to the enemy team. But even the decision-making, just simple things like when to go for certain objectives. When should they go for barons? When should they go for these certain towers? The whole team just seems off. And a lot of people want to point to the whole Smitty J, Billy Boss substitution, right? Because Billy Boss is a much more passive top laner, Smitty J, much more aggressive. And honestly, up until last week, that was the narrative I was going with too. It's the narrative that Walter and I brought up on this very podcast. Kire has no outlet. You need to give Kire an outlet. Billy Boss is no longer that guy. You've got to find one in either Shifter or Apollo. But the truth of the matter is, watching their games this week, I didn't see a team that was struggling to find an outlet for Kire. I just saw a team that was struggling. I mean, even basic, essential things. I mean, obviously, no one looks great against Immortals. I'm not holding that loss against them. But against Impulse, that is not the kind of game that you want to be losing if you're Dignitas. And when you have enough of these games, enough examples of a team just falling apart time and time again, I don't know what to say. Honestly, it gets to a point where it's almost baffling. And all you can do is point to, well, what changed from the team that was able to take out CLG in week one? And what's changed is they don't have Raz. They don't have someone helping to make these calls, helping with the rotations, helping to pick the kind of composition and analyze the exact way to attack a team. I mean, honestly, the the biggest thing about that CLG victory in week one was just them understanding we need to attack Zion Spartan. We need to attack Darshan over and over and over again because he is the way that that team carries and make the other four beat us. And CLG couldn't, and that's why Dignitas came away with the victory. Nowadays, every single player on that team plays so safely. There's no confidence to their movement. There's no desire to make the kind of play that can come back to bite them. It's almost like Raz said, hey, I'm leaving because I have to because of this visa situation, which sucks. You guys just try not to screw everything up until I get back. You know, it's almost like a, like the parent leaves. It's like, you know, don't, you know, don't burn the house down. But they, they took it literally and they just stopped trying anything in fear of accidentally burning the house down. And now the house is burning. And I don't, I don't even know what to say at this point. At least with some of these other visa situations, there's an end in sight. But as I'm at least saying this, we don't know when Raz is getting back. And I don't think their pick and ban problems change until then. I don't think that their in-game strategy, the, the confidence that they had, comes back until he's directly working with these guys again. You know, I've worked with Raz in the past, when I was on Paravine, when I was doing a lot of the Into the Rift talk show. So I know how smart this guy is. I also know that Inner Flame was never meant to be a strategic guy. 
he was meant to be a manager. That's what he was good at in SK Gaming. The criticism of him was always that he didn't understand the game enough. And Jez's as a strategist is not something I have a whole bunch of faith in. That's not how I've known Jez's throughout the guy's career. It's not been some guy bringing out tons of innovative picks and strategies. It's been a guy who, you know, spent most of his games trying to farm until late and hoping you could overcome from there, which is what Dignitas has been doing. You could almost see the Jez's influence coming into account now that Raz is gone, and that's not a positive thing. It's, it's a tough place because, honestly, if you had asked me after week two if I thought Dignitas was a playoff team, I'd say yes, especially at that time when so many other teams were up in the air. You know, Teams really could have gone in any direction early on in the season. I think not having their coach just submarined everything. It just turned the whole team upside down. And to this point, we still haven't seen Dignitas recover. I hope Raz gets back soon. I hope we get to see Dignitas at full strength, and I hope we get to see what he does with a player like Billy Boss, what he does with trying to get Kire Elaine going. Because right now, the answer is... They're not going to do anything. They're going to sit back and hope that the enemy beats themselves, which they can get away with every once in a while. They can get away with it when they're playing an Echo Fox that doesn't have Froggen yet in week four. But they can't do it anymore. And losing the impulse is the surest sign of how much this team has fallen. And and I don't know what to say other than that. It's just a shame. It's just an absolute shame that we've lost a coach that we didn't need to lose because of some visa issues that were enforced very sporadically, we'll say, um, over the years. It's it's a shame. Visa getting worst thing to happen to this split. The asterisk that will hang over everything that happens, right or wrong. It's just it's just such a shame. But we're gonna move on to another thing that I think is a shame, and that is the firing of TSM's life coach this week. Uh, as you guys know, if you've paid any attention to what's been going on on the subreddit, Woodbuck, their head coach, has been kicked from the team. He is now, I guess, Yarg steps up as the strategic coach uh, to the head coach position. I'm not entirely sure how they're going to handle it. It's a very interesting sequence of events, and it's one that I feel needs more delving into because the first question I had, honestly, was what is the purpose of a life coach in professional League of Legends in the Western scene? Because I totally understand it in the East where there is this culture of respecting your elders and really listening to what all these other people have to say and people from different perspectives than yours in particular, people that might come outside of the traditional esports scene but have expertise in similar kinds of fields. This is something that is ingrained in that kind of culture, but in the West, we almost never see it. You know, Origin had a life coach, and guess what? They got rid of that guy as soon as they could, as soon as they realized, hey, we could just make X Peke a player coach, and it's fine. That's all they ever really wanted. And Leduc, you know, purposely pointed out they don't want a coach, which is, you know, A, the biggest non-story of the week because no doubt Origin doesn't want a coach. Have you seen their coaching position? Um, but on the other hand, it really led me to question, like, what exactly is a life coach supposed to do? 
Because a life coach isn't going to be teaching strategy, obviously. That's the strategic coach. So are they the kind of, you know, keeping people in the right headspace guy? Because I would call that the team psychologist, which a lot of these teams do employ a psychologist where they'll have players talk to them and, you know, basically go over a lot of the, you know, difficulties of being a prominent esports athlete, you know, going over what it's like to win games, what it's like to lose games, you know, being able to balance your life around tough weeks versus balancing your life around really great weeks and everything in between because people are people and, you know, their lives extend to more than just their work. And all of that kind of sounds like what you would think a life coach would be, right? But life coaches aren't trained professionally to be that. So what are they? If they're not going to be the psychologist, because they ha- can get a psychologist, or they're not going to be the strategic coach because they don't really know the game, what is a life coach? I mean, maybe a special would tell us that a life coach is someone that coaches people through one's journey through life, man which is totally a thing that he said at one point. Life is one's journey through life. My favorite quote of X-Special's career by far. But honestly, I'm not surprised that so many of these life coaches are failing because I think that what they can actually do for a team is incredibly limited. I I mean, I guess you could watch them in-game and see how they're communicating with each other. But how are you going to convince someone that the way that they're communicating is wrong when you've never played the game and they don't have a reason to believe you. You know, he'll say that Bjergsen was very receptive to this kind of coaching and that Bjergsen was one of the best players he's ever worked with. And I believe that. I think Bjergsen is a guy who just wants to be the best player he can be. I believe that Yellowstar is wired the same way. I'm not so sure about Doublelift, though, if I had to take a guess. You know, this is obviously wild speculation. I don't have any insider information, so... Take this as you will, but Doublelift? Doublelift is a guy who has never enjoyed people telling him what to do. That is, you could say a lot of things about Doublelift, but enjoys being coached and mentored by people other than himself is not something I would put on the Doublelift-isms list. So what is he supposed to do when we have a player in Doublelift who has had many, many players over the years criticize him for some of his ways of communicating with other members of his team? Like, that would be the life coach's job, right? Like, address that issue. Make sure that there are no 17-page Dunzo manifestos at the end of this. And why would Doublelift listen? Why would Doublelift care about what this guy has to say? Because the easy answer is, hey, I've been playing this game well before coaches were even a thing, and I was great at it. I am great at it. I am still considered one of the best players in my position. So who are you? Guy who doesn't even know what it is I'm actually doing in-game. Guy who's listening to these comms but doesn't understand all of the little ins and outs of what it is that I'm actually doing. Who are you to tell me why I'm wrong in this regard? And that's a really tough question to answer. I don't know how the life coach is supposed to answer that question. Is it because he was hired by the boss? Well, that might be true in certain organizations, but the organizations that have had problem with life coaches, that have prominently tried this whole life coach strategy, are TSM and Origin. And guess what? These are two teams that are owned by former players, guys who will always side with the players naturally on these kinds of issues. So what is the life coach going to do? Well, he's going to get fired is what's going to happen. And to me, this is a shame because it's a resource that I think especially a team like TSM 
could really use. They're 7-3 and three right now, but it has not been an easy path to that. They have finally built their way up to second place, and I do believe they're going to be a formidable team come playoff time with or without Woodbuck. But the question is, could Woodbuck have added something to this team that a strategic coach cannot? And I think the answer is absolutely yes if you make him a requirement for players to work with. If you make it so that players have to listen to what he says and give this thing a shot and really respect him in the kind of way that we see life coaches in other regions being respected and treated. But that didn't happen clearly or else we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. So, you know, at the end of the day, what does it say about the life coach position? I think what it says is life coaches are not something you can do on just any team. And ironically, the teams that probably need a life coach most are the teams that are going to fight you the most about it. Because, again, if you want to be a life coach, if you want to coach a team that is in need of a life coach, how are you going to get the kind of guys that would need that guidance, that would need someone to break them down and really analyze all of the details of just day-to-day conversations, of day-to-day work environments, without understanding the specifics in any meaningful way, how do you convince a team of veterans, the guys who would have the kind of intrinsic traits that would need to be undone by a life coach, how are you going to convince them that it's relevant? How are you going to convince them that this guy, the kind of guy that does not naturally come across as the kind of person you would need in an organization right away, because he's not adding to your game knowledge, which is the one thing, if you're a player, you're probably thinking about more than anything else. How do you get him to buy in? I think TSM and Origin are perfect examples of why people don't buy in. And I'd be very curious to see what teams with life coaches that, you know, maybe we just don't hear about, them, you know, life coaches seem to only come up when we're hearing about how they've been fired or about how, well, we know that they don't really want a coach. So this is why this has happened. But maybe there are guys in these organizations that kind of act like a life coach without necessarily being called a life coach. And maybe that matters. Maybe there is a way to get it done. I'm sure Immortals, Energy, Esports, these are guys with massive, massive organizations. And while most of them, you know, they'll have something called a player manager, I, I don't see anything that is a, you know, that kind of position, that kind of life coach position. But maybe there's a way to do it in another way. Maybe it's just a matter of, you know, having, you know, either the general manager or some personnel manager just dividing that up such that, you know, it's a guy who has a more direct involvement in terms of working with the players, but also is able to do enough to help them understand where certain factors would go wrong. I don't know. This is me just theory crafting on the life coach position for almost 10 minutes now because I don't know what else to say. They keep getting fired and it keeps failing miserably as an experiment, and it shouldn't be. By all accounts, life coaches should be a brilliant thing, and TSM should have done great work with Woodbuck, who I am completely unconvinced uh, failed in his own right, even just by the TSM release where they said he did as much work as possible. He just didn't grow the way we wanted. Well, how could he have grown the way you wanted? I don't actually know if TSM has an answer to that question. But, you know, Reggie is Reggie. He has constantly led this team to success every time he finds a way for this team to be 
one of the best teams in North America. So who am I to doubt him now, especially when I make such terrible choices when it comes to North America, specifically rooting for Renegades, which I want to talk about here for just a little bit because Renegades, one and nine, they're terrible. I picked another terrible team to root for. And unlike last time where I could at least blame evil geniuses on forgetting that Brian Cordry was involved and at least liking some of the players here, I knew who the ownership was. I knew who the coaches were. I knew who the players were. And I was still really, really excited about this team. This was a team that Walter and I thought was going to make the playoffs heading into the season. Uh, That's not happening. That's not going to be where Renegades ends up at the end of the split. And to me, it's... It's interesting for two reasons. One, it is yet another example of why you should never make the choices I do about 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 favorite just rock at. That's not going very well for me. My favorite North American team was Good Game University, i.e., the last team to make it to a finals in the North American LCS that was not named Cloud9, CLG, or TSM before becoming Team Coast and going horribly, horribly horribly wrong. My favorite Korean team? Well, of course, CJ Entis, which has a proud history of making fans believe and then letting us down at the last moment. The Marin Maokai play that ended up preventing us from beating SKT still haunts my nightmares as far as that game goes. And in China, when I decided, why not have a team? I said to myself, you know what? Kakao was so much fun to watch in Korea. And now that he is out of Korea, I can actively root for him in China without feeling badly about it. And then I saw Kid and Kitties and immediately felt badly about it. So first step, don't ever root for a team I root for. I was cursed as soon as I became a Falcons fan. I got all of my sports fan luck cashed in on that 14-2 and Super Bowl run. That first year in 98 when I first became a fan, and it's been downhill since. Don't make my choices, people. But the second thing it really says is that the North American Challengers system has completely and utterly failed us. And I know that this is not particularly news to anybody. You know, I'm not breaking any new ground when I say, oh, look, the North American Challenger scene isn't providing the kind of talent that we want. But that's not really what I'm saying. Because if you look at guys who have come from the North American challenger scene, I mean, Dardock is a great example of how good some of these guys really, really are. There are talented players to be found. Stixay was a challenger guy who has now made his way through the ranks and is now doing quite well for himself. You know, we've seen big this split. He's not great, but he's not bad. You know, he's nowhere near the kind of level that people were thinking he was. And at the very least, what about Matt? From Team Liquid, a guy who has stepped up in a big way. So there are a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons to say to ourselves, hey, there is talent in the North American challenger scene. But if you'll notice something, the team that came from the challenger scene, i.e. the only team that is still intact from their performance in that challenger scene, is woefully underprepared to be in the LCS. And that, to me, says a lot about how the format in North America fails to take into account what these teams actually need. I mean, Legendary was never a great top laner, even in the challenger scene. But now in the pros, I mean, the guy's just getting bodied 
week after week. And that's why you had to put Flares in. And guess what? Flares is basically just legendary. There's no difference between those two players. In fact, I, I literally, when I said legendary the first time around, I had forgotten for a second that he has been benched in recent weeks because it makes no difference. There is no feasible difference between having either of these players in as far as how it affects your win expectancy. It does not move the needle in any way. Uh, Crumbs. Crumbs is the perfect example of a guy who we saw him be terrible in the spring split of the LCS last year. Saw him in Challenger do pretty well in a very specific kind of play style. And now is just terrible. Worst jungler in the LCS. I'm going to go so far as to say in either region. Just absolutely atrocious. And yes, the Sightstone nerf killed him to a certain extent. Because Sightstone is the item that made him so valuable in the Challenger scene. He was the most active warder of all junglers in the challenger scene and it wasn't close he was placing more words per minute than most professional junglers were doing at that time and maybe that was the sign that we should have been aware that there were problems with him as a player at this point i mean again we knew there were problems because he'd been so terrible in the spring but we kind of forgot about it because he looked so good for this team in the summer in terms of the plays that he allowed them to make but now that sightstone is not really relevant for junglers and the trinkets can kind of do a lot of what it is that Crumbs was doing. Well, now what does Crumbs do? Well, he's now back to being a subpar mechanical jungler. I, he's not good. He's just actively not good at the game. He should not be playing at a professional level when in a, in a meta in which Vision is not the number one thing he can provide for his team. You know, he is a perfect example of a Kez style of jungler. Another guy who, if you look at the challenger scene now, is really struggling on this TDK team that I otherwise really like. But there is no room for a guy who is a ward bot in a meta in which Sightstone isn't relevant anymore in the jungle position. That's a problem. That's a massive issue. Alex Itch is on a respirator at this point. His career is essentially now ready to go into whatever the next stage of his life is going to be. I don't think we see him after this split is what I'm trying to say here. And I don't say that because I have any ill will towards Alex Itch. I, I hope that he can start playing like the guy I knew him to be. But this is not that. And I don't think Alex Itch wants to retire with him, you know, struggling more and more against these guys until it's a very, you know, unceremonious retirement. Uh, I think he wants to go on his own terms. And this is not what he signed up for. He didn't sign up to be a one in nine team at this point. Freeze stuck in... Elo hell, for lack of a better phrase. I mean, we know he's good. We knew OQ was good when he subbed in. That didn't matter. Uh, we're now with Hakuo as the substitute because Remy, you know, finally realized that this was not the place for her, not in terms of mechanical play, which I still believe she could have handled quite well, but just because being on that stage is not something she was comfortable with. But note how all of these things should have been flaws that weeded their way out in the Challenger series. There should have been people that punished Crumbs for being a ward bot. There should have been people that punished Alex Itch for not having that carry potential. There should have been people that punished Legendary or Flares, for that matter, in the top lane. And it didn't happen. And this is what happens when you don't incentivize natural growth within the North American scene. Because look at what most teams do. Oh, Cloud9, you need a new mid laner? Go get Jensen. You need a new jungler? Let's sign Rush. He's Korean. They're, you know, we got a European in here. That's great. Uh, Echo Fox, let's import Froggen and KFO over. 
Because why not? I mean, we're sure we're a team that has no ability to prove that this is sustainable, but I'd rather import some guys and pay a premium for that than have to just trust North American talent. And for the record, they were right. Look what happened when those guys weren't there. Uh, you know, Immortals brings over Huni and Rainover. NRG has Impact and GBM. We could just keep going down the list, but every team that is worth something has pretty much two European or Korean players on there. I mean, heck, even Renegades has an important Alex Itch, technically, and Freeze. There is no team that is made of North American players outside of, well, it was going to be CLG, and I guess maybe who he counts as a native. I'm not sure. I'm not going to say either way on CLG. But that might be the only exception to the rule. And what does that say about how we've incentivized the challenger scene? How we've incentivized putting resources into it to get these players to the point where they could be the best that they can be. That should be happening on a regular basis. But instead, the incentives are just to get there and cash out. That's what we saw with this NRG move. Just Coast just gets to the scene, cashes out immediately, gets the big paycheck, NRG brings in all their own guys, lather, rinse, repeat. Why do anything else? There hasn't been a challenger team that was relevant. There hasn't been a team outside of CLG, Cloud9, TSM, and maybe Liquid that has been relevant in the North American scene for a very long time. I mean, again, the only Cloud9, TSM, CLG made it to the finals, and Team Liquid has been third place or fourth place for every other tournament. So what's the, what's the point? Honestly, if you're looking to invest, right? Why would you invest in a North American challenger team? What do you gain outside of a spot that you could hopefully pimp out so that people can get imported and you don't ever have to worry about developing the natural talent? And that's, you know, in the short run, that's fine. But we've seen how this affects regions and how it's affected StarCraft and how it's affected, you know, other games. What ends up happening is you kill the talent in the scene. Because these guys, you know, I don't believe that there's anything that is naturally inherent in being a European player and being from China and being from Korea that makes you better at video games. You need to be coached. You need to be taught certain things. You need to have a work ethic. You need to have a a sustainable infrastructure in which you can develop into the talents that you guys are meant to be. And Renegades had all of the pieces that you would hope for a team entering the LCS before they even got there, and it was irrelevant. Because that's how weak the competition that was preparing them to be here was going to be. And that's a problem. That's a massive problem. And people will say now, like, oh, well, the challenger teams, they look a lot better now. It's like, yeah, they look better against each other. Um, some of these teams have some investment in them. A lot of them don't. I, you know, Ember put a whole bunch of money into a team that isn't all that great. That's going to scare off future investors even more. That terrifies me. Well, we're going to get less investment in developing North American challenger talent? That's not great. I, I don't know. It, it's a tough nut to crack at this point. Because now that we've said that you can import two, you know, there are certain positions, especially look at the mid lane, for instance. I mean, let's even include naturalized North Americans here. Alex Itch then gets to be added to that list. But you've got Alex Itch, Shifter, Poe Belter, and we're done. We're done. Congratulations. You've named all the North American mid laners. 
because even who he wasn't able to attend last year because of visa issues. This is where we are. I don't know what to do at this point when there's an entire position where if you're a North American and you're trying to you know, build up your career, unless you're better than Shifter, Pobelter, or Alex Itch, and, and Alex Itch is not going to be here for that much longer, but if, unless you're better than those three, there's no room for you in the LCS. They'd rather import somebody else. Because other regions develop their talent better than North America does. That's where we are. And it's, it's such a shame. But these rants have gone on longer than I think even my rants from yesterday. So let's just get into these games. I don't have much to say about the actual games here as I do about uh, in Europe. Because I focus more on Europe. I am the guy who is writing about Europe and Turkey once I get over to Imperial Esports. Walter is the North American guy. So... If this part of things is a little lacking, I apologize. The good news uh, for you guys is that we have to do better on our smart money bets than we did last week. We went 1-2. We had TSM over CLG. That felt great. Uh, turns out that whole picking Liquid over Cloud9, but then Cloud9 to beat Immortals, terrible idea. Uh, you don't want to pick for and against the same team in the same week. I knew that was a terrible idea. We did it anyway because we hate money, apparently. But, you know... It's okay. I've learned from this. I am ready to come on and, and try to find some value for us talking about North America. So let's go over these gambling lines really quick because there aren't that many close games this week, to be honest with you. Most of these games are pretty one-sided, and I don't expect to have a lot to say about them. Like Energy versus Dignitas. Uh, one of these teams is a good team, and one of them is Dignitas. At this point, until Raz gets back. I, I kind of wish that Raz was coming back because I feel like Dignitas with Raz could end up conceivably throwing off an NRG team that has just looked like a team that doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, they have all the analysts in the world, but they don't seem to understand that putting impact on Maokai is a bad idea. So who knows at this point? But I have the line at minus 300 for energy. It is minus 313. I think that's incredibly fair. I need to see more from Dignitas before I'd even consider the upset line. Uh, Immortals versus Renegades. This is the, let's see how high this line can go. I guess minus 600 because, you know, I just figure, you know, usually I do this against Walter. He was never going to go 600 as his high point. So I, I figure that would safely give it to me. Minus 2,500. That's where we are with Renegades. Minus 2,500. Ladies and gentlemen, your 2016 Renegades in the North American LCS. Welcome to the club of worst teams that we've ever seen in the LCS, guys. Enjoy your stay. I'm going to be over in the corner crying softly to myself, wondering why I don't make better choices as far as who I root for. TSM versus Cloud9. This is one of the games that actually is exciting to talk about. TSM finally seems to be putting things together which is funny because they just fired their coach, which is not something you usually say in back-to-back -back sentences, but they are 4-0 in the last two weeks. And sure, you can make the argument that beating up on teams like Echo Fox and Renegades for in week four doesn't really count for much, but that victory over CLG was a definitive victory. It does seem like they have an understanding of what it takes to outplay some of these higher-tier teams when they're all on the same page, the key is getting them all to listen to each other, which maybe would have been a good job for a life coach, but obviously hasn't worked out that way. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. Meanwhile, Cloud9, 
another team that has been doing startlingly well ever since they realized that, hey, maybe this high guy is the way to go going forward. Uh, they are right now at 6-4, and four, tied for third in the LCS. But I think it is an underrated 6-4, and four, mostly because I don't think they lose some of the games that they lost early on in the season. Like, I don't think they lose to Impulse in Week 2 if High is playing. I just don't think that game happens. Uh, I think that a lot of these games play out differently if there was more consistent shot calling from the very beginning. And there's a reason that High has been in the OP5 for the last two weeks. He is doing something for this team that no other support can really say other than Adrian, but we can't give Adrian the award every week. That's the only reason I can come up with as to why Adrian is not getting this award every week, because Adrian has been an absolute godsend from in the support position. But if someone else was going to get it, it would be high. And, you know, it, it leads to a very interesting matchup here. I think Cloud9 right now plays a little bit more like a team, but I like the individuals on TSM a bit more. TSM obviously is starting to come together a little bit as a team. But especially when you lose a coach, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I picked TSM minus 130 because I figured the casinos would feel just fine taking TSM on blue side against Cloud9, uh, even though it was going to be close. And it's even closer than I thought. It's minus 120, which means there's a lot of respect for Cloud9, which is only minus 108. It's not even plus odds as the underdog. Very rarely we get to see that. We saw that twice this week. We'll get to the second case in a little bit. But... I'm still making Cloud9 over TSM my smart money bet. I don't believe that when you fire a coach, your first game out of the gate, especially when it comes to a team that communicates as well and as effectively as Cloud9 has recently, I don't think that's the game you really want to start with. Uh, that's, not, that's not where I would want to go if I was TSM. They're going to have to figure out a way to, to pull out the victory. But I am telling you guys at home, Cloud9, I think it's worth it. I think Cloud9 is in a really good place right now. I think that their loss last week is something that, well, you know, they played Immortals. I don't hold that against them. And if you take out that, they're 3-0 and in their last three games, which is the same thing that you could say about TSM. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a very close game, a very fun game. I give a slight edge to Cloud9, but we'll see. I think, that it, I think it's worth the smart money bet, especially given some of the other lines we're going to talk about, which... Let's get to CLG versus Impulse. Uh, one of these teams is really, really good. The other one is Impulse. Uh, I had CLG minus 250. It's minus 323, which is maybe underestimating Impulse just a little bit. I think Impulse has done enough that we should look at them as a team that at least has a chance against some of these higher tier teams. At the same time, you look at who Impulse has beaten and forget that week to win over Cloud9 because that is you know, a very hard game to take away something meaningful from. They've been Dignitas twice and they beat Renegades once. They haven't been beating good teams. CLG is a good team. I'm not taking impulse in this. Uh, Liquid versus Echo Fox. Now, this one is interesting. And I was really, I was going back and forth on a lot of the, my potential smart money picks for this week. And it really comes down to what you think about Echo Fox. And as I said earlier, I want more than just one win against a decent NRG team before I start saying, oh my god, here comes Echo Fox. But at the same time, if you're going to offer me good odds against two teams this week that 
have the potential to screw up this Echo Fox game, I'm going to take it. Uh, this game is against Liquid. I think that Liquid has shown that uh, an inconsistency, we'll say, in their performance. Uh, their loss this week to Cloud9 was not a great loss. Their win this week against Renegades was not as strong a win as maybe it should have been, um, given where Renegades is right now. I think that people are starting to realize just how predictable Dardock is. You know, teams are starting to take into account the kind of aggressive ganks that he goes for in the early game. And certainly a guy like Froggen is going to be expecting this. He's, he's seen these kinds of moves before. And KFO, man, I don't know what happened between the first time we saw him and when we saw him last week, but if KFO plays the way he did last week against Lorlo, they're going to be just fine in this game. And that's going to be interesting to see. I... I thought the line was going to be minus 200 for Liquid. It is minus 217. That gives me Echo Fox at plus 160. I'm taking Echo Fox as my smart money bet. And I pretty much already spoiled what my third smart money bet is going to be. But we're going to go through all of day two like I hadn't just done that. And the first two games are very easy. Renegades versus CLG. I had CLG minus 400. It is minus 714. Renegades is terrible. Let's move forward. Dignitas versus TSM. I had TSM minus 400. It is minus 417. TSM is playing a lot better right now. Dignitas, unless Raz comes back, which again, I'm recording on Thursday, but unless he's back, I don't care. I don't believe in Dignitas without him at this point. So I'm going to be happy with that line. NRG versus Cloud9. Now this one I find fascinating because I genuinely don't know how good NRG is. I don't think anyone knows how good NRG is. I certainly don't think NRG's analysts know how good NRG is because if they did, they'd probably be playing the game a lot differently than they are. But it's it's just such an interesting team to watch because it does feel like they beat themselves, you know? It feels like they overthink things so much in Champion Select. Like if you look at NRG just on paper, you walked up to 10 people who watch the professional scene, even semi-regularly. You gave them the roster. And you're like, okay, how would you play this game? Like, well, I would hard carry with impact on the top lane. Put him on a split-pushing threat like Fiora, which, by the way, was totally available in both of their losses this week and also is 15-1 and in North America. Seriously, how do you give that to Darshan? Seriously, how do you give that pick to Darshan? Ah, I, I know the energy guys are smarter than this. I know that Herman is smarter than this because I've talked to the guy and I know he's smart. I've had Empire on this podcast. I know he's smart. I know that they are too smart to give away these kinds of picks. But this is what they, they've been doing. And to me, it just raises this question of like, at what point does the hive mind of energy just overthink itself? At what point can we feasibly say, like, yeah, this is a very talented team with a very talented group of coaches that just overthinks themselves and makes life too complicated and tries to do these weird picks that just don't quite come together. Let Impact carry, please. Let him do it. He's really good at it. One season, three worlds. He's a great player. Let him carry. Don't make Moon carry. Poor Moon. He's, he's at the point where he's almost broken enough where he wants to leave the team. I don't know if they're going to find someone to replace him. Again, I'm doing this on Thursday. Haven't found that yet. But if they do, like, what, what a shame. What a waste of 
really nice challenger talent. The guy was a very good challenger jungler. I had a lot of high expectations for him. And at this point, his confidence is crushed because they keep putting him in these very difficult situations to win in. I don't I don't know why you'd do that to your jungler. I understand that maybe he hasn't had the best season, and Dardock obviously has outplayed him as far as you know, looking at the two rookie junglers coming in. But to be honest, like you compare him to Proxen, I don't think Moon is worse than Proxen, even with the way that they've played so far. I don't think Moon has been put in a lot of winning positions. And that to me is such a shame. Because now you're gonna you know, GBM and Alltech, they're always gonna play for the late game. That's not where the meta necessarily is right now. Ah, it's just I, I don't know. I, I want NRG to be better than they are. I think the casinos do too, because I had Cloud9 minus one seventy five. It is minus one sixty four. NRG at plus 125. I, th- I thought about it. I-, I did think about it because I do believe that energy, if they play to what we know they can be, I think they're going to be great. But here's a stat for you. Uh, their losses, this split, are against Cloud9, CLG, the new Echo Fox, Immortals, and Team Liquid. Basically, everyone above them in the standings, except for TSM, who they managed to take a win on in, I believe it was week three, where TSM was at their most dysfunctional as a unit. So I have some concerns about energy actually holding up with the higher parts of the standings is basically what I'm saying here. Don't get suckered in. I know that Cloud9, you know, they have two tough games this week. One of them, I, you can talk yourself into them losing. It's, I don't think it's going to be the energy game. I don't think energy's ready yet. Uh, Impulse versus Echo Fox, the other smart money bet of the week. As I said, I like Echo Fox whenever you give me half-decent odds on it. Impulse is, I, I guess, minus 130. It's actually the same odds for both of them. They're both minus 115, which I find fascinating. I, I think that it says something about how the casinos view Echo Fox and Impulse for that matter. That Echo Fox goes 2-0 and battles their way to even against an Impulse team that has a win against Cloud9 that was kind of fluky in Week 2, and no other wins against anyone above 8th place in the standings, including a loss to Echo Fox. Like, we have Frocken back on Echo Fox now. Why is this line in, you know, in TIP's favor? I mean, I knew it was going to be. I guessed it was going to be in TIP's favor, but having it even, like, man, I, I don't know if it's a lack of faith in Echo Fox, Impulse, or both. They just, this is almost feels like, you know, Unicorn just threw their hands in the air and said, screw it, we don't we don't know. I don't know who's going to win this one. I don't, you guys settle it. Pick your line, do whatever. It could go either way. We're, we're not touching this. I'm going to touch this. I'm taking Echo Fox. I think Echo Fox is a better team than Impulse right now. Um, I, and I don't think it's particularly close given how Echo Fox looked last week. If they start crumbling again, well, that's on me. But I don't see anyone on Impulse that is going to particularly punish me for that kind of confidence. And the last game of the week, Liquid versus Immortals. Immortals at this point are just... You know, we're almost going to have to institute the Immortals challenge the same way we did the Fnatic challenge last split on this podcast, where we are just saying, you know, if you want to bet against Immortals every week... You know, we'll give you some sort of gift card or something if you happen to win. We I haven't talked with Walter about it yet, so I'm not going to do it yet. But if they go 12-0, and 0, 
We're totally making that a challenge for the last three weeks of the season. Because right now, Immortals are so strongly favored against literally everyone else. I mean, I, I guess minus 300 for them against Liquid here. It is minus 476. This is a good, like a good Liquid team. They're not a great team, but they're a good team. Minus 476. It's Immortals. I don't know what else you say. Uh, but I do know what to say now, which is that this is a podcast. We have just wrapped up the second solo cast of the week. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Obviously, it's very different from our usual shows. I would love, love, love some feedback on it. So if you could tweet me at RedshirtKing on Twitter, I would love to hear from you guys what you thought about this kind of thing. I've been considering doing some vlogging, you know, kind of this same solo content, giving you guys my thoughts on particular topics as they come up, a la, you know, a Thorin or a Monte Cristo. But I, you know, I don't know if that's something that you guys would enjoy or if you guys prefer you know, the banter or if you want some mix of both. So let me know on Twitter, at RedshirtKing. I love hearing from you guys. Uh, if you liked this podcast or just want to see all of the other amazing things that we do all the time for our show, you can go to SoundCloud.com slash EsportsRoughDrafts or search Rough Drafts on the podcast section under iTunes. You could subscribe on both of those places and leave a review if you could. These really help us out. It bounces the algorithms in our favor. So it would mean a lot if you guys could do that for us. Otherwise, just enjoy the games, guys. It's been a very interesting experience doing these solo casts for you guys, but I think now it's time to just sit back and enjoy some League of Legends and see what goes right, what goes oh so horribly wrong, and where all these teams end up at the end of the day. Because by the end of this week, we're going to be two-thirds of the way through the season. And we're going to be looking at a lot of these playoff pictures in a lot more detail going forward. So until next week, goodbye, Internet.